I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female, where every week I speak with women changemakers who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through its program of educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. My guests in this episode are Michelle Bilodeau and Karen Cleveland, authors of the new wedding book, A Guide to Ditching All the Rules, which offers readers an alternative to planning their wedding based on the long list of antiquated customs that usually come along with a big ceremony. Michelle is a Canadian editor and writer who's been contributing on topics from fashion, lifestyle to green beauty, cannabis, and more. She's recently decided to go back to school and is studying psychology. Karen Cleveland is an established communications and marketing professional who currently works for the CAMH Foundation in Toronto. The two decided to write a book about weddings after getting hitched themselves and realizing the insane pressure that's placed on women on their way to the altar. How is it that in 2021, we still embrace traditions from the Victorian era and have to let go of all our feminist ambitions when it comes to planning our wedding, including the fact that so many are left behind by the myth of the all-white perfect wedding, including BIPOC, non-binary people, and same-sex couples. You'll hear answers about all of this and more, including a discussion about weddings close cousin the big d word for divorce the rates of which have been skyrocketing during the pandemic so i could not not ask karen and michelle about this reality as well here is our conversation karen and michelle it's a pleasure having you on the brand is female today thank you for speaking with me oh, thanks so much for having us thanks for the invitation so actually, I want to ask you, you know, was there an anecdote or was it a series of events that kind of triggered that idea for you to write a book about all the rules we need to ditch around weddings? Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming there is a connection to your own personal experience with the process of getting married. Yeah, you're dead right. So um, as Michelle and I were planning our weddings and we were very much part of each other's lives as, as that shared experience, as you said, uh, we got married about six weeks apart from each other. Uh, have a lot of similar friends. So we, we'd speak with each other and then also speak to other couples in general, but women in particular, and just compare notes as women do. Uh, and we would, you know, talk about experiences, either shopping for a dress that made us feel let down or the way we were treated um, through other experiences, maybe. And the more we spoke about it, we realized that there was something almost confessional about it from other women that you're not supposed to talk about how your wedding is anything other than this like magical transformative experience. And instead, Michelle and I were sort of picking away at this veneer that the wedding industry speaks to you like you're supposed to be just a ditz on a spending spree and assumes that all your values go out the window and that all you care about is the wedding, the wedding, and it usurps everything else in your life. So that's what that's where it started. Uh, and you'll still see that imbued throughout the book, but we we ended up going down some really interesting paths that I never could have predicted. Yeah, I think what frustrated us is Karen and I were both, you know, in our early 30s. We had careers, we had mortgages, like we had established ourselves to a point where like we knew what we were doing, at least, you know, we thought we did. But to come into this industry just because we were getting married and all of a sudden we were told what to do. We're like, why are people telling us that things have to be a certain way or you have to do this and you have to do that? 
it just really didn't vibe with who we were as people and it didn't vibe with who we were as feminists. And it felt really, felt really off. Um, there were things we loved about it hundred percent. Like Karen and I, we talk about like, we're not anti-marriage or anti-wedding. Like we love weddings and we're, we are very romantic people. Um, but it, yeah, there was something that was just really didn't vibe. And Karen has brought this up too, where, you know, both of our partners were very involved in us planning our weddings. And oftentimes it's not seen as that. A lot of people are like, oh, your husband's coming. And it's like, yeah, why wouldn't he be? He's like, this, part is, of this. We're, this is a partnership. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this is not, the onus just isn't on the woman here. Um, so yeah, as I said, like things just weren't really jiving with who we saw ourselves as. Um, as women. And I'll play devil's advocate for a second, which I always hate when somebody gives me that opening, but why, why should we still be getting married in the first place? Like what's deep? Because I think we can have a very long list of cons, right? And you address a lot of them in the book, but you know, why is it that in 2021, there is still value in getting married? Because love is amazing. <laughs> love is beautiful. And that's, you know, part of what makes the human experience enjoyable is falling in love and sharing your love with other people, with your family and your friends. And yeah, I think, you know, we love love. Love is a, love is a good thing. Love will always be a pro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think so too. And even seeing coming out of the pandemic, you know, a year where people just could have stopped weddings, right? And that couples found a way because there's that symbolism, that act of proclaiming your love to each other, whether it's an elopement or in a, you know, a micro wedding with a handful of people, it still matters. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the institution of marriage that there's nothing like it in the world. Like no other institution commands that same respect, everything mm -hmm. from immigration to your healthcare, depending on where you live, to your status as a person, depending on the country and historically, like there's still, there's a lot to unpack there. Mm -hmm. um, and I think as Canadians, there's this massive point of pride that anyone can marry whoever they want, True. which of course translates to weddings and how those relationships um, become materialized in a public way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. All right. You're making a good case for, for weddings. <laughs> and, and now that we know, you know, why weddings still matter and, and, and why we should value them, what are some of those rules? The, you know, if you had to sum up maybe the top three or four rules that you wish we could ditch or you wish we could rewrite again? Oh, it's, we would need longer than three, I would say, but I'd say <laughs> at the very top. Um, yes. Let's, we well, really let, let's go with your top, with your highlights. Yeah, we really want to push this discourse that assumes weddings are for women, mm -hmm. right? Like there's no groom industry when you're talking about the wedding industry or the bridal industry, it's synonymous with brides uh, and it's a pretty narrow lens. So up until very recently, you'd be pretty hard pressed to either flip through a magazine or scroll online and find anything that looks other than a pretty traditional narrow lens on what a wedding is. And it's mm -hmm. going to be a heterosexual cis couple who's going to be young and super beautiful and able-bodied. Um, and that's what we assume typifies a wedding. And there's not a lot of room left for other people. So we really want to subvert that and talk about weddings in a way that's as diverse and as rich is the country where we live mm -hmm. um, because that's not what all weddings look like and not all people who fall in love look like that. So that felt important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd say the second piece that I'm super passionate about, and then I'll, I'll turn it to Michelle to bring it home um, is the budget piece. Mm -hmm. 
So like this assumption that, you know, your wedding budget is going to take over your financial plan for the short term or in some instances, the very long term is just totally out of touch with modern economics. Like mm-hmm. Michelle and I, like we love to hate watch the show uh, Marriage or Mortgage, which yes. like it, there's this understanding now that for young people or couples starting out their lives together, you can have one or the other, but you can't have both. And mm-hmm. that's outrageous that mm-hmm. we just assume that that's okay. That's where we're at as a society. So we really want to unpack the financial piece of it and encourage couples to like really edit and refine their budget and make sure that their wedding budget fits in with their overall budget. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me coming from a lifestyle journalism perspective, um, I really just want people to, and I'm going to swear, I'm sorry, Eva, but just wear whatever the fuck they want to get married. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't have to just be this strapless white gown that flows to the ground. If that's what you want, Awesome. Like have at it. If that will make you feel super special on your wedding day, cool. But what about like just wearing something that makes you feel fabulous? Mm -hmm. What about wearing florals or polka dots or color? You know, like I just really want us to feel like ourselves on our wedding day. And that can even go to, you know, the idea of bridal boot camps, which Karen and I just find so icky. Like this idea that you have to shed for your wedding, that you have to Mm -hmm. look a certain way. You know, we have one story in the book where one of the women talks about the fact that she loves swimming and she's, you know, she's an athlete and she swims and she would go into bridal boutiques and they would talk about how her shoulders were too wide. And it's like, come on. Like, that's just, we're, we got to get past this. We got to get past the idea that you have to lose 20 pounds or that you can't be, you know, lifting weights or, you know, like, it's just, yeah. I just want people to feel gorgeous, however that, they, however they define that on their wedding day. And it connects to so many of, you know, other other systemic issues that, that we have in society in, in general, especially as it comes to the way we consume, right? So it's, of course, you're supposed to spend a ton of money on the wedding, on the fashion for the wedding, on the ceremony for the wedding. And and then, you know, we see we see results like it, it's also there's nothing sustainable about these large weddings. If we if we go by that model of you're supposed to have 500 people and, you know, serve a big meal and you're you're buying a very expensive dress that you're only going to wear for a few hours. Um, so how can we change these rules? What would need to change? Um, so that brides and grooms and anyone getting married, you know, everywhere feels that it's more of a, you know, that it is possible to have a wedding without spending uh, a ton of money, that it's possible to have a wedding without trying to match that exact picture of what a groom or a bride is supposed to look like. Um, We hope that our book is a starting point, for sure. Um, Really, like the thesis for the book is essentially doing what feels right for you as a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Karen mentioned, like you don't have to pick the wedding or the mortgage. You can be thoughtful and creative and figure out ways to do both. Um, because this should be about not just the wedding, it should be about the marriage. Mm-hmm. So you should be thinking about your five, 10 year plan and your financial goals and a wedding can still be really beautiful and really intimate and super special um, without you spending you know, six figures on it, um, if that's not within your means. If it's within your means, again, like have at it, go have fun. 
Um, but the other part of this book that we're trying to, to get across to people is an education piece. So it's the idea of there are things attached to the wedding industrial complex that are super patriarchal. Mm -hmm. And having an understanding of where these things come from can really help you just feel like you're taking ownership of your wedding. Mm -hmm. So for example, if my dad had been alive when I got married, he 100% would have walked me down the aisle, even though I know that that stems from a super patriarchal ideal that you're being literally given from your father to your husband and that no yeah. man is coming in between that. Yeah. Um, and also that day, so, you, you're, as a woman, you belong to a man, right? So you're, you belong to your exactly. father until you get married to a, another man. Yeah, exactly. And But for me, again, like I had a really close relationship with my father, mm -hmm. so I would have wanted him to walk me down the aisle. Yeah. So yeah, that would have been something... a beautiful something... tradition in there. Exactly. It would have meant more to me because of our relationship that mm -hmm. I would have been able to get over all the patriarchal crap around it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you have I would add to that. That's so beautiful, Michelle. And I love that example of unpacking something that could be really loaded and just saying, yeah, but it, but it means this to me. And that's that notion of couples reclaiming it. I would say the other piece that I think is so important is to celebrate and tell those stories of couples that don't fit the mold, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. pandemic is going to offer countless examples of couples who flip the script and who aren't spending, you know, the average wedding in, in Canada is around um, 28 to 32,000. And in the States, it's slightly higher around 33,000. Um, so couples who are just saying, that's not meaningful for me right now. I'm going to spend a fraction on that. And I'm going to mm -hmm. have a really gorgeous dinner party with my family. Mm -hmm. And I love that we're getting those stories and those photos and that narrative coming out of the pandemic because it literally offers an alternative path. Up until this point, the only stories that we've really seen celebrated are the ones that drive that hyper-consumerist uh, consumerist behavior, that one-upmanship of weddings, which of course social media and celebrity culture play into. Mm -hmm. And there's not a lot of reverence for marriage in that we really only celebrate the grandeur and the pomp of the wedding. Mm -hmm. And that's problematic. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well said. And this reminds me, and you, you both know I spent uh, close to a decade in the in the jewelry industry. Uh, so we spent a lot of time looking at, you know, everything and anything around how people shop for engagement rings and, and wedding bands. And um, in 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 my in my last few years uh, in, in in the jewelry world, we had actually led uh, a, a nationwide survey in Canada with young couples to really try and understand how they go through the process of you know the proposal and you know where where does the ring come in and of course um, I think the the whole you know the whole tradition of buying an expensive diamond as that first step uh, as part of the pro of the proposal, which is which completely stems from you know a marketing tactic that the beers and other okay. diamond makers uh, really created out of the blue. But what was interesting is um, it wasn't good news for you know our company for the jewelry industry, but young couples. Um, it was very clear that it wasn't so much about the value of the ring anymore. The you know the results showed, and this was really you know across. Uh, across provinces, across age groups, even uh, although they were, they I think they were all uh, un, un, under under forty, um, but it it also came across that didn't they didn't want to spend that much money anymore because for them the yeah. experience of the wedding was more important than the things they had to buy around the ceremony, um, and I, I 
I'm curious to know if in the process of writing the book and in the research you've done, you've seen that shift materialize, right? Because I think young couples today, men and women, are looking at weddings completely differently than maybe a generation or two ago. Oh, 100%. And I love that you went there. Like we devote an entire chapter to how couples get engaged. And this notion that people sort of accept that it's tradition, you know, like the down mm -hmm. on one knee, diamond solitaire engaging. It's not a tradition at all. It's a post-World War II construct from a very, very successful marketing campaign from a diamond company. Uh, but we sort of take it ad nauseum and assume that's how engagements happen. And uh, the Hollywood proposal is like just really galvanize that is the way people get engaged. Mm -hmm. And what we really uh, try to parse out is how out of date and out of touch that is like on a whole multitude of levels, but also how gendered that is, right? Like that mm -hmm. the onus is on the the gentleman to go out and spend an exorbitant amount of money to get this ring that she will wear, that's a direct reflection of his success mm -hmm. and his financial status. She's something to be pursued. He does the pursuing, which is totally screwed up and not at all. <laughs> like most couples I know pride themselves on their equal footing on their marriage, mm -hmm. but we still participate in that act and that ritual. And even now, like we're hearing stories of couples going back and like staging their proposals so they can get it video for Instagram, like all kinds of weird things mm -hmm. all happening there. Um, but we, and we devote some time to exploring couples that got engaged through other means mm -hmm. uh, who maybe don't want this imbalance where one person gets a really lavish, expensive piece of jewelry and the other person gets nothing. So maybe they get something together as a couple or they just decide to get married mm -hmm. and bypass the whole formal proposal process anyways michelle has like the best engagement story not to put you on the spot but it's dead romantic <laughs> well so yeah, now, now yeah. we want to know what it is um so my husband essentially proposed to me with a cheeseburger in his pocket it was very very romantic <laughs> i mean um, who doesn't yeah, love a cheeseburger you know it he had tried to plan two really like beautiful elaborate um proposals and both of them fell through for various reasons mm. Um, and we were on the dance floor at my cousin's wedding and don't worry, like we didn't tell anybody that we got engaged at my cousin's wedding until well after my cousin was married. Cause we did not, we weren't trying to steal anyone's spotlight. Um, but it was, you know, late at night, we were both a little tipsy. As I mentioned, there was a cheeseburger table and my husband managed to grab one of the last cheeseburgers before they were all gone. Um, and it was in his pocket. And we were just dancing and we were having a moment where we were just talking about how much we loved each other. And, you know, it, I was, I was just, you know, staring into his eyes kind of thing. And he was like, you know what? He's like, I've tried to do this like two other times, but like, can we just get married? And I was like, what? Yes, of course. Like it was just this moment. And then when we walked to the car is when he realized he had the McDonald's cheeseburger in his pocket. But, <laughs> but it was like, it was, I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved that it didn't have to be this like over the top thing. He didn't have a ring at all. Mm -hmm. We ended up using um, a ring that was my grandmother's. Mm -hmm. So it was a vintage diamond ring. Um, so yeah, he, he does the checklist. He's like, all the things you're not supposed to do when you, like you're supposed to have a ring, you're supposed to get down on one knee, you're not supposed to have a cheeseburger in your pocket. Like he didn't do any of those things. <laughs> it was just like a conversation that we had while we were a little tipsy. Mm. I, yeah, yeah, that's I love that proposal story. <laughs> Thanks.
This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Bank Group Women Entrepreneurs. Confidently building your business takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaboration-based approach. They work with both internal and external partners who can provide education, financing, mentorship, and community support. TD employees are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. They can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. Um, and I'm curious to know, so speaking of your, of your weddings, if you could, if you could go back in time, is there one thing you do differently, something that you wish had gone completely differently, either in the process of planning it or the, you know, the wedding itself? Yeah, for me, and I hope my mom doesn't listen to this because she might feel like I'm throwing her under the bus, but she, I didn't want to have like an envelope box and a, a guest book. Mm -hmm. I just didn't think that they were important. It was not something that we wanted to spend money on. So my mom took it into her own hands, God bless her. And she went to Walmart and grabbed this, this box and this guest book. And I was just like, sure, put it out. Like, I, I don't care. Um, but it, I just, yeah. I, and it's not that it was from Walmart or anything. I just, it didn't, it wasn't necessary for me. It didn't need to be there. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I did that to kind of like placate and also just like let her do her thing. Mm -hmm. um, but for us, it wasn't really necessary. So I don't know if I regret it per se, but it was just like not a thing that yeah. we needed. Um, no, and, and I can say that not from a place of hubris or arrogance that like my wedding was perfect, but it was just, it was perfect for us. Uh, we planned it really, really quickly. Like we, I think within two months we got married uh, and had a very small, uh, really sort of easygoing late night wedding uh, that to us felt perfect. So I wouldn't have done anything differently. Uh, I'd say my mindset was very much like, uh, even though I didn't know I was going to write this book at the time, the, mm -hmm. the roots of it had already been deeply planted. So I, I already had this sort of like <laughs> chip on my shoulder, if you will, about like not wanting to participate in those things. So how that sometimes translated is I didn't make a lot of space for, you know, like my mom, bless her, for example, to chime in on maybe what hopes she had had for me because I was just so hell bent on like we're doing it our way mm -hmm. um, and had those guardrails up, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so I don't know if that would have impacted the wedding in a material way if we would have done things differently. But it probably, it would have been nicer if I could have let my guard down a little bit mm. and like made some space for those conversations, even if I brazenly chose to ignore the advice, who knows? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it felt like us. It was a lovely wedding. It was. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> of course you were. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about, you know, the, the, the pressure and even the, the archetype of the woman bride that, you know, we've... Uh, our society traditions and and you know I, I would argue patriarchy has uh, has led to to define and you know we often in movies there's always if, if there is a wedding you know there's the the bridezilla and then the 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 crazy mother of the bride or you know there's so many um, we paint these these very uh, false pictures or these these caricatures you know, exaggerated uh, archetypes of women when they when they are going through the process of, 
either planning the wedding or actually attending the, the, the ceremony. And um, I mean, again, this is, you know, part of the long list of, uh, of, of these, these false archetypes that we, that we create, that we invent for women. And then we are, we feel the pressure of um, either trying to fit a certain mold or, you know, not acting the way we, we, we think is the wrong way of acting as a, as a woman who's about to get married. So, and I think the, the challenge too, is that for, um, uh, uh, there's a lot of individuals that we leave out, right? So even in the archetype I'm talking about, it's typically a straight, you know, cisgender woman who is getting married to a man and we're leaving behind, you know, same-sex couples, uh, non-binary uh, individual and, and, and so on. So how do we redefine that, you know, what that model, and I don't think it should be a one-size-fits-all scenario, but how can we help rewrite the script for, um, and, and in this case, I want to talk about, you know, women or, or non-binary individuals specifically, but how, how can a woman find herself and how can we um, kind of take away all those stereotypes around brides? And I, I know that's the, that's the million dollar question, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, no. And it's, we can and start by reading your think... book, but where do we go from there? <laughs> but that's the question that really underpins every part of this book. Like, how did we get here and now how do we undo it? So I'll answer the first part of that. Um, you're right. Like there's this massive machine, this industry that puts enormous pressure on women at every level, like to, to metamorphosize into the part of the bride, to lose weight, to like have perfect skin, to be perfectly charming with her in-laws and figure out the financial piece of it. And then we pathologize women and call them a bridezilla when they start to feel crazy. No wonder women fall apart at the seams through the process of planning a wedding. They have this immense pressure to be perfect in a way that I would say well, maybe is rivaled by motherhood really like the narrative is that man you better get it right this is your one shot this is your one day to have it your way and your entire marriage is hinging upon your success of being a bride and by the way you're supposed to be really graceful and easygoing mm -hmm. and pleasant and perfectly charming while you're doing that so that in itself is really problematic and i think this stems back to even like princess diana right like mm. we we approach brides as things to look at and consume and we rank them in a way that like societally, we're obviously very, very comfortable with um, doing that with women's bodies, but there's something about weddings in particular that the gloves come off. Like it's assumed, like we talked a bit about this notion of like shedding for the wedding, that hashtag or um, bridal boot camps. Like we, we go deep on some research in the book and there's one particular study that says 70% of brides are planning to lose weight for their wedding, 70%. So they've gotten the message that you're not thin enough, you're not beautiful enough, you're not something enough, which is outrageous. Like I'm assuming most people choose their partner because their partner thinks they're perfect just the way they are. Mm -hmm. Like they don't need to change. Their, their partner's probably not telling them to lose weight. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something really horrible and gross in that. And we really want couples to just say like, ah, no, I'm not participating in that. That's not for me. Uh, and then the second piece of that, you talked about representation, which is so important. And like we, we profile a ton of real couples in the book. There's some really funny, happy, like drop dead romantic stories. And there's a couple heartbreakers too of weddings that didn't go so hot. But this one couple, uh, Cody and Turner, who are just like ridiculously attractive. Like it's just genetically unfair. They're so, so, so beautiful. Same sex couple. 
Uh, and they said, as grooms, there was literally nowhere for them to turn. There was no resources uh, at all. And they found a book intended for heterosexual grooms that they could sort of like flip through and be like, oh, there's a little bit that's helpful in here. But our, my hope is that this book is like the first of an entire collection of new books or websites or social media accounts that subvert that norm and start to celebrate the beautiful marriages and weddings of people that don't fit that classic mold. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I want to talk about the other side of wedding, maybe the, uh, you know, the more negative side uh, and, uh, you know, the concept of divorce. And unfortunately, and it, it's interesting because you were bringing up, um, you know, we've seen even with the challenges brought on in the past year, we saw a lot of a lot of couples get resourceful. And I think for a while, I haven't checked, you know, I don't know if we have full, complete numbers yet, but there was a rise in, in engagement and proposals. Um, but we, unfortunately, there is a rise in divorce rate for over the past 12 months as well, which is around 30% uh, in North America and even higher in the UK, interestingly. Um, do you think that, you know, because I, I think there's also something around, there's all the pressure around the concept of the wedding, the ceremony, but there's also so much falsehood uh, around uh, how people, you know, choose to be in a relationship and get married to someone else, which eventually, you know, if the, the match is, is not right and, and, and there's, a, there's a million reasons, but can, you know, it can end in divorce. So do you think that, um, uh, you know, part of our misconceptions and part of this, uh, construct, social construct around the concept of wedding is what is leading us to see so many divorces happen. I mean, I definitely think it's a part of it. When you think about the whole like happily ever after dynamic or, or ideal, like Cinderella and Prince Charming got married and then that's the end of their story. Mm. They just live happily ever after. And we know that that's obviously not the case. Um, so one of the things that we talk about in the book that we both think is really important is the financial piece, because you're right, Ava, like people are getting divorced more so in the pandemic, but even before that, like the rate was hovering around, I think it's like 40 to 50% of couples get divorced. And one of the big, um, impetuses for that split is not having financial conversations. So we know that money is a very sticky topic. Regardless, I think, you know, we're learning more and more now that there's this kind of intergenerational, um, uh, like this intergenerational stickiness around talking about finances because our grandparents went through the Great Depression or our great grandparents went through the Great Depression. That affected how the boomers viewed money. That then affected how like Gen X and Gen Z and Y view money. So it's, it's all this, um, it's all kind of leading to the same place. So having this notion that you can't talk to your partner about money um, or that you can't communicate to your partner about money or hard things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to be money, just any kind of hard topic. Um, in the book, we're really advocating for just like, you got to let that go. Mm -hmm. You have to learn how to communicate with the person that you're planning to spend the rest of your life with. Mm -hmm. Um, because there are studies that have come out that couples that actually don't talk about their finances before they get married are more likely to divorce than couples that have those conversations. Um, so I think broadly we can say like, you need to have hard, tough conversations with, with your partner. Um, because that will then help build on your communication skills for when you are married 
And when you have other tough conversations that you have to have, be that whether you guys are going to have children, um, you know, where you're going to live, what your, what your 10 to 15 year financial goals look like, if you're going to travel, if you're going to live somewhere abroad, um, that communication piece is really, really like what's important for, for doing this, for doing this contract that says that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be with you forever. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you, you, we really need to get back to having nuanced and, uh, and hard conversations, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think and challenging that falsehood too. Like yeah. we use that word and I think it's so appropriate. There's imagine if we took half of the energy that we do and half of the sort of real estate and space taken up on social media about bridal beauty mm -hmm. and channeled that into helping couples have successful marriages. Mm -hmm. Like we, we don't, there's no yeah. space for that in the discourse, right? Like it's really only about like how things are going to look mm -hmm. and this sort of flaunting, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, of what your wedding is going to be and not a lot of support for couples. So unfortunately, like we're spending, I mean, fortunate for the wedding industry and you, you can't come down on an industry for rising to the demands of its consumers. But by some indications, we're spending double on weddings what we were less than 10 years ago. Yet that divorce rate's not budging. Yeah. So clearly we're doubling down on weddings and it's not helping uh, couples have more successful marriages. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. No, and that's a, that's an important link to, uh, to, to point out. Um, I think there's also the element of, we also need to normalize divorce, right? Divorce is not necessarily a bad thing. And it's, it's kind of natural to in the progression of our lives that sometimes to humans can evolve and, and go in different places, right? And, and that union doesn't, doesn't make sense anymore. And I think as women, there's a lot of shame that's associated to being divorced, right? Um, and which brings me to, you know, the notion around second or third weddings, you know, people who are not getting married for the first time. And we often hear, so I think another, another falsehood, another social construct is, oh, you don't need to spend that much money on, it's, the, it's a second wedding, or the ring is not going to be as expensive, it's his second wedding, right? And that's something we need to, we need to change too. And I mean, I've seen so many couples who find themselves later in life, they already, maybe already had a family, right? And that union can be, can be beautiful and it can be, uh, uh, it can be it can be success for 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 many many years. So there's no uh, um, there's no preconceived uh, notion that a marriage will be more successful if it's a first, a second, or or whatever. That's right. Yeah, and those again, that doesn't really fit that one dimensional narrative, right? Like, of course, it's a young couple meeting for the first time, um, and that's not reality. And and that that has implications not only for the couple planning their wedding, but also like. I sort of find it a bit funny, but I used to write an etiquette column and people agonize over their wedding invitations. Like they have to get it right. And if they don't, if they fuck it up, the wedding police are going to come and like take away their wedding license or something. But the reality is that like half of us, our parents are divorced, right? How do you easily word your wedding invitation in a way that doesn't isolate, you know, a, a parent that maybe you're estranged from? Like, again, it's just challenging this notion that like our families aren't perfect. Our lives aren't perfect. And yet we still want to find the space to get married. The other thing that I'd say you touched on divorce as being something that's just sort of verboten. Another thing that's really, really taboo, and Michelle and I very purposefully tackle it earlier in the book, is calling off your wedding. Not every engagement is going to end up 
in a marriage and it happens and it's really uncomfortable to talk about. And I've never seen it addressed anywhere else. It's sort of like the topic that is never discussed because what's more unromantic than that, but we go there because it happens and there's a practicality about that. And like, just can we be grown ups and realize that not every engagement is going to carry on to a marriage and here's how to help navigate that. And we address it in a really no nonsense, common sense way that I think is, I'm obviously biased, pretty refreshing. Yeah. I think, I think what you were saying to Eva about like, and I agree yeah, with Karen, I love that we added that into the book because it is super important um, to chip away at the veneer that wet, everything around weddings is perfect. Um, and with the divorce piece, like I've, you know, recently we've been talking to a lot of women about the book because we're doing promotion for the book. And a couple of women have been like, yeah, well, you know, I was married for 16 years, but we're divorced now. And it's this kind of like dejected attitude that they're divorced so that their mar- their marriage wasn't a success. And like, I want to challenge that. You had, you were married to one person for 16 years. That's a long time. And especially if you have children out of that and you're successfully co-parenting, I don't think that's anything to be ashamed of at all. And and it really is just about changing that narrative and showing that we are, humans are humans and we're flawed. We're not a perfect species. We need to get it out of our heads that there's this all good or all bad. Like we are very much down the middle of the road in terms of we all make mistakes. We all have moments where we're, you know, we're super not perfect, but we have moments where we're super proud of ourselves for behaving a certain way or making certain decisions. Um, but yeah, it's showing our humanity shouldn't be seen as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And and allowing space for um, anything that makes sense for us individually, yeah. right? And this yeah, brings up, as we were speaking, an image I had was, and you know, so many of our references, I think as as, as women of our generation are, are, are from Sex in the City. And I just remember the scene where um, Carrie, um, you know, she had all her friends had been getting engaged. So she had been buying all these engagement gifts, right? And everybody had uh, a list somewhere for, for the gifts she would have to get. And then she, her pair of Manolo Blahniks disappears at, at one of the events. So she decides to celebrate getting engaged to herself or something along those lines and then makes yeah. her makes her married friends buy her Manolo Blahniks. Um, yeah. So there's also, you know, this, this kind of, uh, all these traditions around wedding and this pressure for women to take part in, in that process of the perfect wedding, right? And and in the failure, if you're not able to find a match and get married and the pressures on women, uh, I think w- women specifically, you know, who prefer or who choose to be single, but will always feel a lot of shame attached to it. Oh, yeah. George totally. Clooney was a bachelor. It was no big deal that he never got married forever. Mm-hmm. But if it were a woman of his age in that same vein, it would be like, oh, she's she's a spinster. Mm-hmm. Or if you look at Jen Aniston, yeah. everyone's always trying to set yes. up Jennifer Aniston with someone. Maybe she's just happy being single. Like, let's leave the poor woman alone. <laughs> Totally. And this idea that like your wedding is the one day you have it your way or insert whatever platitude sold your brides here. It's like the one day you're a princess or the one day you're this, like, why is it your wedding day when you get all the glory? Like, why isn't it the day you finish your degree or your MBA or buy a condo or whatever, become Mm -hmm. a mom, like, or write a book, like write a book. Yeah. Like start your business. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like, 
sell your business. Exactly. Like whatever milestone makes sense for that woman, but it's a real hangover on the value we place upon a woman's value as married. Um, and that's not cool. Like it's, you know, Michelle and I often say, like, we talk about the happiest days, plural of our lives. And I've got a lot, I feel really lucky. Uh, and my wedding day is up there, but it's alongside lots of awesome milestones. And I want to celebrate all those things. It's yeah. And then obviously my favorite question to ask everyone on the show, what do you wish women would do more of and it can tie to weddings or not? Uh, I wish women would do more, uh, more examination when they're being sold something to look at who's benefiting from that. So when you're being sold a fantasy, be it your wedding or you're being sold a job or sold, I don't know, a weekend workshop on how to transform your whatever, whatever, to be to have a healthy amount of skepticism and be incredulous around who's benefiting from this, financially who's benefiting from it, socially who's benefiting from it. Um, and make decisions based on that rather than just getting swept up in the, in the current. Yeah. Yeah. I think on the flip side of that, I, and I know Karen and I have had a hard time of this, but just admitting you're like celebrating your successes, like Karen and I are authors of a book and it took us a while to be able to say that without being like, Ooh, Oh my God, E, can we say that? No, like the idea of imposter syndrome affects women way more than it does men. Um, and I want women to start owning their successes. Like I, yeah, I went out and bought myself a fancy coat with our book advance money because I'm celebrating the fact that we wrote a book and it's coming out. And, you know, like I, I want us to be a bit more celebratory. We deserve that joy. I like that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and congratulations on, the, <laughs> on having become book authors. And it's a, an important topic that you address. And I, I really hope it helps, you know, change the conversation and, and change this narrative that we have around what a wedding is supposed to look like and how women are supposed to navigate weddings. Thank you. Thank you, Eva. Thank you so much. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Bank Group, Women Entrepreneurs, for the support of The Brand is Female. You got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening. I'll be back in a week with a new guest. Yeah.